Welcome to A Brief Chat. This is the episode for January 6, 2020. I'm Owen Crane. I am Jason Crane, and we'll be back for a little chat right after this. Greetings. I'm DJ Lily, a devoted listener to and member of Jason and Owen's podcast, A Brief Chat. In addition to regularly talking about food, one of my favorite topics, In each episode, they discuss big and small philosophical issues with each other and then with someone else who has insight into the subject. They have made me tear up a few times but laugh so much more often with their gift for talking about matters that are relevant to everyone and in such an open way that it's nearly impossible not to ponder the same topics in your own life. It's like therapy without needing to change out of your pajamas. If you want to be a member too, and you should, Go to abriefchat.com and click on support the show. Then listen for what Jason and Owen are cooking up next. Hey. Hi, you. I'm hi. Hi. <laughs> are you good? No, apparently not. You just said you're high. I so. did say I'm high. <laughs> if it's any indication of how good I am, about two hours ago, I got up out of the easy chair where I was relaxing. I put on my coat. Oh my I God. got my car keys. To get to our car, you have to walk down like into the basement so you can go out to the parking lot and back. I walked out to the back, and there was no car there, and that's because you took yourself to work today. Yeah. And it was not necessary for me to go and get you. And the best part of this, too, is you also texted me, and you're like, are you going to be on time getting out of work tonight? And me thinking, oh, Jason's asking this so he can come pick me up, was like, yeah, I should be totally on time. <laughs> exactly. And then I walked out and saw that you had texted me that that had happened, and then at that point, I remembered I actually drove. <laughs> So, so we're both good. We're a pair. Everything, everything yeah. is fine. Everything is fine. I wanted to uh, talk about a, a, a little bit of a heavy topic at the top here, if you don't mind. And we didn't talk about this at all in advance. <laughs> no, we did not. But it's uh, anti-war protesting. I always wanted to mention that because it's uh, as we're recording this, it's all in the news. Yeah. In fact, some anti-war protests have already started in places across, at least mm-hmm. across the United States, perhaps other places. But in... Uh, anticipation of a possible coming war with Iran. Yeah. And the thing I wanted to bring up was that when the last big war was impending, which was the one with well, Afghanistan and Iraq. The one we're Iraq, currently in. Yeah, the one we're still in. Yeah. Exactly. We'll be in for the rest of our lives. I was heavily involved in anti-war protests in that era. And at the time... This was right after 9-11, and at the time was one of the co-founders, along with uh, a guy named Jesse Lenny, of a group in Rochester, New York, called the Rochester Restraint Coalition. Because not everybody in the coalition was uh, a pacifist or anti-any kind of action. We were like looking for restrained action. Yeah. And then as it got closer and closer to looking like we, what we were going to do was an invasion of probably multiple countries, we started to organize street protests. And at one point, you know, had certainly well over a thousand people on the streets of downtown Rochester. I mean, it was the largest protest they'd seen in decades, you know, shut down the, the downtown. We got a permit and then violated it by just marching through the streets and the streets. Now, all of that sounds great. And of course we were a tiny drop in an ocean of millions of people around the world who marched in protest of that conflict, which subsequently then happened. Yeah. And is still going on. Can I admit something to you? You certainly can. So 9-11 happened. I was five, about to turn six the same month. I had no idea that there were anti-war protests that were that widespread until you told me, like, literally, like, four years ago that you were involved in anti-war protests. I mean... I don't think you have to have 
super high knowledge of protest when you're six, do you? I mean, I think well, you're I off mean, the like, hook on that. But I mean, growing up, it was something that I never knew even existed. And I lived in a suburb of New York City. Like, it's not like I wasn't, I was in the middle of Iowa, you know, or something like that. Yeah, those damn Iowans. They never protest anything. Uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just the I, population I, content. I, yes, no, I totally yeah, get it. fuck Iowa. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're back on brand. Um, <laughs> No, you know, and actually, uh, you bring up an excellent point by saying that because one of one of the things that definitely happened around the time of these anti-war protests was massive underreporting of the numbers by, uh, I would say, the mainstream media. That was pretty much all the media that there was at that point. There wasn't right. a ton of alternative media. I think there was the Democracy Now existed then, maybe, but that was about yeah. Maybe it. they had a GeoCities page, but <laughs> we'll ask Jews about that. Um, <laughs> But then I think it made what was happening seem, first of all, seem less meaningful at the time. Yeah. But I think it also leads to then people of your generation, since it was kind of erased in the moment, then obviously as, as history is written, it's, it's it just fades never away to up. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I wanted to bring this up at all today was to talk about I think maybe the futility of these kinds of protests. Today I was reading someone online who said that the only thing that power responds to is economic harm or the threat of violence. And it's hard for me to agree with something like that public publicly, you know, I mean, I yeah. still, there's still a part of me that feels like if there were just enough of us out there, but there were enough of us out there. I mean, how many people do there have to be on the streets of Hong Kong? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that there's I think there's a lot to that point that that as we as we ramp up, I mean, I saw videos today of, you know, 300 people in this town and 200 people in this town and 50 people in this town and all of that is great. I just have a very strong conviction that it is again meaningless. Yeah. And that that these kinds of protest uh, protests are breaking out all over the world and yet the world is as uh, you know world governments generally speaking are going further and further toward fascism my positions on protesting were very different even like 3 years ago 4 years ago i feel like the only benefit to protesting at this point is it's essentially like activist speed dating where okay Maybe, maybe you'll throw yourself into a group of people, you'll get a bunch of people on a listserv, something so that you can build coalition to like actually try to do meaningful work, but that's it. <laughs> actually showing up and making your voice heard is, you know, cathartic for sure. And in some cases, maybe can pressure people in power in your community to do things. Like we've seen some successful stuff happen like with the Penn State community, at least with sometimes leaders listen to you, but not like president, you know, the president of the university, like smaller department heads. And, you know, that's a really good point about the connections and the networking, because when we did the Rochester Restraint Coalition in Rochester, this was still in the, you know, was it in the early 2000s. So it was uh, email listservs were still the main way that people, you know, communicated to large groups. There wasn't, yeah. there wasn't really social media. You know, Facebook was in its infancy. There was no Twitter. There was no Instagram, any of that thing. But that email listserv that we started at that time for the Rochester Restraint Coalition ended up 
after the you know after we went to war and there was really no more reason for the Rochester Restraint Coalition to exist, that listserv ended up being the primary kind of progressive activist listserv, and it still exists now. Oh, that's really in cool. In the year 2020, and people still use it to communicate with one another yeah. in that town. So absolutely, there's something to that. Here's the question that I keep coming back to, and I'd be interested in your take on this. Aside from that networking element, and and I think also the convincing yourself you're not crazy effect of being with a lot of other people protesting, which I think can be really useful, you know, kind of to your soul. I really question whether what we should be doing as certainly as leftist and anarchist activists, whether what we should be doing is trying to get massive amounts of people in the street or whether there are other kinds of smaller targeted actions that affinity groups can do together you know, maybe around military bases and, you know, around stopping uh, transport of things and those kinds of things, whether that stuff is actually more impactful or whether it's a combination of those things. But I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss. Like I see all these people. It's, it's like a carbon copy of however many years ago that was, 15, 18 years ago. God, that's terrifying. It really is. And if you think about it, that in itself was a carbon copy of what my parents' generation, not my, my dad was in Vietnam and my mom was not a protester, but what the people of their generation had done against Vietnam, and although this is never talked about, uh, that in itself, to a lesser degree, was a carbon copy of a lot of things that had gone around around World War II and World War One. I. I mean, there were people locked up for protesting those wars as well. Yeah. That we can name all of those wars because they happened, despite those protests. So I am starting to think that Massive numbers of people getting onto the street to pro—I mean, protests against Vietnam didn't end the Vietnam War. Hundreds of, or thousands and thousands and thousands of body bags ended the Vietnam War, and us us losing also ended the Vietnam War. So I just don't know what to do. Like, it's hard for me to counsel people of your generation to say like, "Oh yeah, get up, get all your friends, and get it out there on the street," because it's not going to work. Yeah, but it gets us out there, and it, it gets community going, hopefully, or at least an opportunity for it. You know, yeah, the the problem then is that I feel like a lot of modern activism too stops at community building and then it's just an echo chamber and like no direct action actually works. Right. Like, let's make a Facebook group and I'll talk to yeah, each other. Exactly. So like that doesn't work. And then let's go have protests. And this is only going to be to tell you about the six different protests we're having this week like that. That obviously doesn't work. You might as well just go to a bar and like bitch at CNN or something at that point. I feel like we're going to have to transcend into like figuring out more direct action part of me thinks we need to have a general strike like and like we need to build up and you are more knowledgeable on this than me but part of me thinks we just need to or one one action that could be taken is to build up the unions within the country and just general strike i mean having spent a decent chunk of my adult life as a labor organizer i think it is significantly more likely that we could have a strike by people mounted on unicorns than that we could build up the labor movement in this yeah, country that's to have a, a general strike that's fair first of all many unions are not at all left-wing or progressive oh, i mean the the trades unions, i remember the carpenters <laughs> yeah 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 oh yeah exactly i mean the union one of the unions i recently worked for was incredibly racist and misogynist and also, and there are plenty of corrupt unions too. Absolutely, and although th that is still true, but union corruption is much less of an issue than it used to be. But like, kind of right wing 
in the employer's left pocket kind of unionism still super exists. There, when I was a union organizer, I worked for service industry unions, and a common phrase that you would hear a lot is um, that the construction trades unions would have built the ovens at Auschwitz, Auschwitz as long Jesus as they were union Christ. jobs. And, you know, that, that's the thing. Like, you... For every longshoreman's union who are stopping ships carrying munitions from leaving port, you know, the guys who will, like, be down there with clubs and wrenches and stuff and just mess you up if you try and put military equipment on the ships, that kind of thing. For every one of those, there are dozens of unions, you know, like the old school, like, you know, just good old jobs and hard hats. Yeah. And then the unions like the ones that I worked for, which organize, like, immigrant women of color – it's not that those folks don't know about protests. They generally speaking know about it better than you know white people from middle America like me. But those are much more vulnerable populations who it's I think much harder to get to out make yourself like, visible against the like government that. Yeah. in large numbers, you know. Yeah. And so the and the idea of a general strike like without the labor movement, you know, like we're just going to get Americans to to, that seems way harder to me, which yeah, is that's why. Like, why don't we build a Death Star? And, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I it's it's tough for me. I it's I'm really at a loss on what to do. Uh, I mean, it doesn't matter what I do, but I mean, I'm really at a loss on what we should do. What we could even do to, in our like own little part, even like that. To be totally honest, in our own little part, I find it a little easier to think of ideas. I'm not sure there are ideas besides like educating dis- our kids. Well, I mean, I can think of actual, like, active things to do on our own little part. I'm not mm-hmm. sure there are things I'd want to say out loud on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to say hi to all the NSA agents <laughs> trolling podcasts right now for anti-war talk. Yeah, I'm not sure there are things I'd want to detail, but I I think there are there are effective ways you can take action on small levels with little affinity groups of people. Mm. And I think there is a useful community-building aspect to what you were talking about. Where I... Where my main question falls is, if I'm going to be able to get someone to do something, where is the best use of my time to get them to use whatever amount of time they're willing to use? Mm. You know, unfortunately, I mean, there people have all kinds of levels of participation they're willing to, to engage in. And for some people, like carrying a sign and going to a protest, that is as radical as they're able to get at this right. point in their lives, you know? Yeah. And I don't want them not to have an outlet. Yeah. I just don't want anybody to be under the impression that 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 is that's going to cause anything. change. Yeah, yeah, it's tough. It's real tough. I, it's hard not to just get like kind of, uh, you know, our our, our uh, friend Danny in Tasmania ha- talked to me recently about the idea of people like kind of parsing the situation so much that they just end up not doing anything. Yeah, you know, like they get paralyzed yeah. by all the possible ramifications, and I think that's real. Yeah, yeah, you know. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, t- it's a tough one. I'm not sure what to do. I'm not sure. I think the people of your generation probably will end up taking to the streets in large numbers. They already have. Yeah. Abs- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's just, it's hard. And good it's for them. To know what to you know? Do. Yeah. I mean, that's the gateway for a lot of people into activism. Sure. Too. So, but it's not going to stop the war. It definitely will not. Yeah. Well, on that happy note, uh, we're going to take a quick break, and we will come back, and uh, our guest, our guest for the first time, and my guest for the second time on this show will be David Rovix, who... He had a fabulous video on YouTube oh today, God. completely unrelated, I'm sure, to anything he'll talk about. <laughs> yes, you should say just a little bit about this video, though, because you know more about its subject than I do. Uh, David Rovix has 
Two kids? Three kids? I think he has three kids, but we saw the two young oh, ones yeah. on the video. So he has an infant son who is like maybe possibly the cutest baby I've ever seen in the world. Like, I think his face should be blurred out on the videos because he's so cute. He can <laughs> no. distract you from... He's dangerously cute. He's like, take the Gerber baby and dial it up to like break off the knob. Yeah. Yeah. He's that cute. He's ridiculous. Um, But his also very adorable five-year-old daughter sure, is somewhere around there like kindergarten um just makes a latte with very little assistance <laughs> it's pretty awesome homegirl tams it good she like you said she held the like the steamed yeah she like right actually angle. held it at the right angle for like a surprising amount of time like it was amazing i used to be a starbucks barista and i thought that i was hot shit because i knew how to like <laughs> <laughs> steam some milk but then i'm just like this five-year-old just showed me up and she's really doing great at it so. yeah it was awesome and just as an aside the artists that i grew up liking way back in the day did not have the ability to share videos of their kids making espresso with us and so that is a way in which the world is a better <laughs> your place. engagement with yeah. with music has been able to change over the years all right we'll be right back after we recommend a podcast to you Hey everybody, it's Jason. I'm the one doing this week's podcast recommendation, and this week I would like to recommend to you Five Years Rapid. Five Years Rapid is a brand new podcast, and it is a limited run series that is covering the five seasons of John Pertwee's Third Doctor from the classic Doctor Who era. They are doing one episode of about an hour in length about each story. So, you know, in Pertwee's era and the classic Doctor era, the stories were multiple episodes. Uh, every every story was like a, you know, an arc until the toward the end. And so they are devoting one episode of about an hour to uh, each of the Pertwee stories. It's a, a really wonderful podcast. It's a great era of Doctor Who, and it's a place to start if you haven't watched much classic Doctor Who. Um, it's uh, all available and, generally speaking, fairly easy to get into. And some of it is just absolutely just bat poop insane. It's it's hilarious how wacky and weird a lot of it is. Um, the hosts of the show are Joy Piedmont and Kyle Anderson, who are on other podcasts and uh, kind of well-known in the in the Whovian community. And they're a joy to listen to. So again, the show is called Five Years Rapid, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. And now, back to our own show. But it feels like 1933 When your eyes are open When you know the history When your parents lived through things That looked so much like this All the indications impossible to miss When you've sought for your whole life To make the earth a better place And you once again see the rising Of the master race When you know that they are coming When they announced it in advance When you know for many people This will be their last chance Then you may ask the question What can one person do When the time to act is now And now it's up to you David Rovix, welcome back to A Brief Chat. Thank you, Jason. It's always wonderful to have you uh, on any show of mine, and it's always great when it ties in with a new record. You just, uh, well, in, in some areas, you've just released Strangers and Friends, uh, and it's about to be released kind of 
you know, everywhere in the universe uh, coming up very shortly. So first of all, congratulations on mm. the new record, which last time you were on, you uh, had kind of just decided to go record in Ireland. And then uh, I guess I'd like to maybe start with whether you feel like there's a, a through line that runs through this record. Uh, I, I kind of do, but I'd be curious to hear your own thoughts. Well, musically, there's definitely a through line in terms of like the emphasis on vocal harmonies. Um, but the, um, but definitely, the, the, and that was also, it was also the singers, um, Lorna and Kamala, who were picking all the songs that were going to go on the album pretty much. But they do happen to be mostly recently written stuff by me. And they also definitely, there's a theme I realized after. Put uh, after we sort of selected all the songs and started working on them. There's definitely a theme of, of prison. People who are in prison or or are threatened with prison or just got out of prison. I mean, <laughs> given the number of songs on the album that are uh, people who are uh, you know basically about political prisoners of one kind or another. I didn't set out to make an album with a theme, but it definitely has a bit of a theme. I'd say. Yeah, that. What, what theme do you think it has? Well, is that the theme you thought? First, that is uh, that's one, and I also would say it's an album to me about people stepping up when the need arises to do things that might surprise even them. I mean, I you know I think about you know songs like that's Jock true. and I Was a Stranger and The Time to Act, and I, I just feel like there's a kind of running commentary on ordinary people making a contribution that I find, you know, very necessary in, in this particular time. That's a really, I like that better, That which is also true, of course. And this is why that they all, all the people who went to prison or have been threatened with prison. Uh, yeah, that's why, because we're doing something to try to help ordinary people or, or try to stop a impending fascism in the case of, uh, Will Van Spronson, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a, I think you got it. You nailed it better in terms of the theme. You, you mentioned uh, the two singers who are on this record with you. Will you tell us their, their full names and then about how you ended up collaborating with them? I know it's uh, not, not the first time around, but how they ended up kind of picking the songs for this album and writing the arrangement, a lot of the vocal arrangements. The two singers are uh, Lorna McKinnon, and uh, Kamala Emanuel, and um, basically I uh, first met uh, Lorna when she was uh, directing, a, she's a choir director, she has several choirs in uh, in Glasgow that she directs, and uh, one of them is the Socialist uh, Unite Fight Sing Choir. I heard them doing a, a, a wonderful choral arrangement of one of my songs, No One Is Illegal, and basically I asked Lorna if she would uh, record with me um, as soon as I heard them doing that and uh we made a record together uh, an album in 2016 and a live album called live in rust trevor and then basically my friend kamala was taking vocal lessons with lorna over skype because of hearing lorna on my album and then they got to talking about what if our vocal lessons were working out harmonies to new songs of David's and then why don't we make an album with them? So yeah, it was a kind of a very unusual way for an album to come about, but that's how it happened. <laughs> that, that's beautiful. That what if our vocal lessons were essentially writing this, all the harmonies for this record. I yeah. had, I've never thought <laughs> yeah. of that back door into an album, but I, I'm going to see who I might like to take lessons right? with now and <laughs> see if I can work something out. Right. Um, and will you, uh, will you just mention who engineered the album and where it was recorded to? 
Yeah, and that was um, also, I mean, a huge part of it, because as anybody who listens will hear the pipes and whistles, but that's uh, Paul McAdam, who's a wonderful engineer and producer and musician from Ireland. Basically, Lorna lives in Scotland, and I was planning on touring in the region, and so Ireland was a very sensible location to record in geographically. And then uh, when I ran into Paul last summer in Scandinavia, and he mentioned that he had this home studio, then it was that then I knew where we were going to make the record. And he's a fantastic at everything he was doing, the, his producing, his engineering, and his uh, pipe and whistle playing were fantastic. He's an amazing ear. Yeah, and uh, I'm really glad you mentioned the pipe and whistle playing because there are some really gorgeous examples of that on this record, and he definitely deserves deserves credit for that. There are at least yeah. three tracks, at least to my ear, on this record: "Living on the Streets of L.A.", "Just a Renter," and "Failed State." That and it may happen in others, but I can think of those three that mention, in one way or another, housing insecurity. In, mm-hmm. in failed state, that's in fact, you know, in the in the first verse, if I'm remembering correctly, I mean, that's brought up as one of the signs that you're living in a failed state is, you know, inability to mm. to either afford or find, uh, you know, safe housing. Uh, will you talk about why you yeah. write about that? The elephant in the living room is the living room. You know, it, it's really um, something that's affecting so many people so profoundly and has been for such a long time. And with these basically feudal landlord-tenant relations with very little regulation, if any, in so many cases, the basis of our economy in this country is so much about real estate speculation and investing in property, which means investing in the necessity for people to have a place to live. This is what we're investing in. This is our you know, so much of the economy. It's not about investing in anything productive or investing in anything that's going to better anybody's lives or, or any, 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 what you might call productive income or, you know, any kind of productive activity like, uh, you know, industry or, or services or good production or any of that kind of thing. It's sort of an economy that's based on a, a utility. It's based on the providing of a basic service that everybody needs. And, and then we turn that into a, uh, you know, a form of investment where property values continually go up. And the only reason they continually go up is because people constantly always need places to live and the population is increasing. It's just a crazy situation and it gets so little play in the media because to whatever extent we have a media, you know, left after it's been eviscerated by the gig economy over the past several decades and the internet and the domination of the internet by these few platforms that don't pay anything to for all the content they're using like google and facebook you know we have to whatever extent we have a a, a media it is owned by uh property owners and real estate developers and they don't want us to know uh, about the reality of the desperate situation they want us to you know they're they're happy to talk about things like U.S. foreign policy and Trump and, you know, make white supremacy and stuff like that, that doesn't affect people in a, in a, uh, most people in a direct way, the way the price of rent does, you know, but they don't want to talk about something so basic as housing, because it's, it's such a basic indication that under both Democratic and Republican governance throughout the country, we are homeless. 
the media's reticence to talk about this, I think to at least some degree, is highlighted even more now in the Trump era when they literally could point to the president as an example of exactly the kind of person you're talking about, you know, on a on a large scale. I mean, that's that is how yeah. how he came to exist is, you know, largely exactly. pricing people out of what I think is a basic human right. You know, it's not a it should not be a commodity. But the fact that when he gets, yeah. you know, excoriated for things he does, that's generally generally not one of the things anybody mentions. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's not one of the things that people mention. And of course, people don't mention uh, the, the over $700 billion military budget every year because that's also a bipartisan, you know, supported thing. But yeah, he, he is the perfect example of a slumlord who's in power. I mean, the fact is that if you look around this country in in terms of who's really running these cities that most people live in, you know, the cities are the economic powerhouses of the country and of every every country. And they are controlled in this country by real estate developers. Some of the cities are run by so-called progressives and others run by so-called conservatives. And they all have different views when it comes to social issues. And, uh, you know, when it comes to whether trans people can use the bathroom, whether, you know, when it comes to uh, police uh, brutality, uh, there's a lot of different issues that that they have uh, differences on. But when it comes to the basic uh, question of survival in terms of paying the rent and how much of our income is going into rent and whether people are living in tents or not, uh, there's no difference between these supposed progressives and these supposed conservatives. They're just putting on a show for their voters. But the reality is you take off the masks of progressivism and, or conservatism, and it is real estate developers running the cities of this country. And now it is a real estate developer in the White House. There is at least one song on this record. And if you buy the record, which I can't encourage all of you strongly enough to do, because A, you should, you know, pay for art and B, that's how David makes a living. There are two songs if you buy the record because there's a a bonus track called If I Had a Hammer, but uh, that and The Time to Act I think really speak to what uh, and I know, David, you haven't heard this conversation, but what Owen and I were talking about in the first part of this show. And so Owen and I were talking about whether there is actually utility in massive numbers of people taking to the streets to protest these wars or whether we'd be better served by doing actions in smaller affinity groups or whether that's just a the kind of binary choice we don't really need to make and so i was curious about your opinion i know it's a it's a huge topic probably not with one simple answer but i i'd be curious to know where you where you are these days on that kind of issue I would say that it's it's a huge topic and that um, it has many many different answers, but but in 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 a way that the answer is quite simple. Um, and and I, I you know certainly small affinity groups can do all kinds of things, and and small affi- affinity groups are absolutely necessary in order to build a larger movement. But it's absolutely also necessary that we have a large enough movement that can not only have massive protests, but where those massive numbers of protesters are willing to get arrested and willing to get attacked by the police and willing to engage in civil disobedience and, and willing to, to shut things down. If, if we want to understand how protests can actually be effective and actually win gains in, in the context of an unfriendly government, then I think we need to look to France. We need to look to the yellow vest, the gilets jaunes. We need to look to the French labor movement. Uh, these are really obvious and nearby and, f- and sh- what should be familiar to, to many people, uh, examples uh, of how uh, resistance can be effective. You need to be able to shut down the cities. You need to be able to stop 
business from functioning, stop everything from working. You need to be able to shut down financial districts. You can't have everything going on as, as normal. You can't just have a protest. Nobody cares about a bunch of people gathering together and having a protest. That is absolutely is true. And that is absolutely pointless from the perspective of trying to change anything politically. There, there is a point to having protests because it gets everybody together and get, and people can realize that everybody else or so many other people feel the same way. You can have good political education at a protest from the stage if you let decent people on the stage to speak and perform, which rarely happens at protests because you know of who's organizing them oftentimes. But uh, you know, otherwise, I, I would say they have no function in terms of uh, political change, uh, and you know they're, they're they're absolutely pointless in that way. You need to go further, it, but it's not a question of of having big protests or having small affinity groups. It's a question of having big protests that are just symbolic actions of a bunch of people standing around, and having big protests that are actually real social movements that where people are in the streets and staying in the streets until they accomplish what they're trying to accomplish as in the case of many different countries around the world today, where you're not just talking about big protests. When, when you're talking about what's going on right now in Chile and Lebanon and Algeria, we're, we're not talking about big protests. We're talking about massive social movements like France that are changing everything. You know that, But this doesn't happen just through standing around in the street. That's for damn sure. Coming back to Strangers and Friends, David, what's the best way for you, for people to get this record? What what benefits you uh, most directly? If people uh, subscribe to me on Patreon uh, or one of the other platforms where I have a paid subscription kind of thing, Bandcamp, or my website, davidrovics.com, if they, if they click on where it says subscribe or CSA, then they can become monthly supporters which is the model for survival these days. And it's not a very good one. It doesn't work as well as it used to when we sold CDs, but it is what we got. Uh, nobody is supporting me by streaming me on, on Spotify. That does not support any artist. So don't anybody think that you're supporting artists by streaming them on Spotify. You're not, but it's good that it's out there and because everybody around the world can hear it. And that's wonderful. And so I encourage people to listen to me on Spotify and make playlists and share my music there. But if you want to actually support me from a financial perspective, then you need to um, become a, a supporter on, on Patreon or one of those other kinds of platforms because there, there's no money in streaming. It, it should be. It's, it's not the way it should be, but it's the way it is. As always, it's a, a real pleasure to talk to you. The new album is called Strangers and Friends. And David Rovix, thanks so much for coming back on A Brief Chat. Thank you so much, Jason. death toll keeps mounting each time I turn on my phone another mass shooting another free fire zone the failed states of America white supremacist rule a society riven with victims and tools the fires keep burning completely out of control makes you miss the old days of the ozone hole the snow is all melting the lakes of Greenland the best hope that I have I hold in my 
hand If there's a tomorrow Then when yesterday's through You have me And I have you We might have to leave town Or maybe we'll fall Beneath a hail of bullets At the shopping mall Perhaps we'll be arrested Perhaps they'll pass us by But wherever we might be When we look up at the sky If there's a tomorrow Then when yesterday's through You have me We'd like it to be different But this is the place we find The one we inherit The one we're in now Whatever might come of the future Why, when, how If there's a tomorrow Then when yesterday's through You have me And I have you If there's a tomorrow Then when yesterday's through You have me
Thanks again to David Rovix. You can check out more of his work at davidrovix.com. It's been so fun to have David on the show. He's been on, as I've mentioned, I think, before every show I've ever done that wasn't a jazz show. <laughs> um, I always find a way to work him in, and I'm really glad that he was able to do it again. And I can't encourage you enough to check out his music, especially if, kind of like we were talking about in the chat at the beginning of the show, if you are feeling a need to be like part of a community or reminded that the way that you think is not totally nuts. His music is a good vehicle for that. Can I tell you a thing that I've never told you about before? You, you I can't wait to find out what this is going to be, but of course you can. In my mind, David Rovix reminds me of the mountain goats. If they were more relevant, if David doesn't start using the mountain goats, goats but, but relevant, relevant. <laughs> I'm going to be very annoyed. Uh, our- David, you can have that one for free, baby. <laughs> We're making T-shirts immediately. <laughs> oh my God, that's brilliant! I do want to. I do want to point out about you. This is, has not come up on this show before. <laughs> you have an amazing skill for describing things pithily. Thank you. And we haven't talked about it explicitly on this show, and I can't think of any examples. But you, you every once in a while, and I don't mean like every every great once in a while. I mean with regularity, you. Reduce something to about five words that are the perfect five words <laughs> for whatever you. that thing is. And I'm always amazed. I'm just like, oh, I could never have thought of that. And it's absolutely perfect. I really, I really dig it. Thank you. That's it for this show. Thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, we always love having you here. And we love all the great comments that people have been sending in. And when they email us and things, it really means a lot. Also, you can become a member of this show. And that would be a great help to us. We, uh, we'll talk more about this another time. But as we kind of hinted at in the, in the 2019 in, in Review show, we're changing our minds about what this next little phase of our life is going to look like. And so we have some uh, things coming up to kind of figure those things out a little better so your help by becoming a member certainly helps us as we make these decisions uh that's it for this week i love you i love you we We love love you you. a A better better world world is is possible. possible